try it now. Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Yeah, that did it. Oh, that one plays? That one's going to play? <laughs> We're going to play that one where it lies? Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. So, bad news. Oh. I, I hate to start things off with this it's not really, floating a stinky balloon of bad news. It's not really what we do on the show. Well, it's important because okay. I, I just got back from PodCon, uh, rubbing, yep. rubbing elbows, rubbing microphones with mm-hmm. all the all the greats. Um, I saw that the Roman Mars was there. Uh, the Roman Mars was there. Uh, just stress to the nines. Uh, I can do like a quick style recap if you want. Um, of course, I want that. I can't. I can't. I don't know anything <laughs> enough about style to even lie about it. But anyway, the Monstars did show up, and they did steal my podcast energy. Um, they stole who else? Roman got got pretty bad. Um, all the Night Vale folks. Night Vale is just done. What? How did the Monstars steal your podcast? Magic energy? microphone. So I went up on stage and I was like, all right, I'm going to do my podcast oh, now. And I talked good. into the microphone. And as I did it, like I felt myself doing worse and worse at podcasting. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at the microphone and it had this like blue sort of glow, like this cloud of, I guess, my podcast energy all around it. I tried to eat it back up into my body. But um, by that point, the monsters were so much bigger than I hey, was. Griffin, yeah. Don't worry about it because I've got all the blue glow right over here. You know? Yeah, no, you still have the blue glow. I don't, but you're, I'm saying because you're bragging. I didn't go to PodCon. Yeah, it's kind of like how you know you always keep somebody behind in like a, a national emergency. Sure, sure, sure. So like I stayed here. I get that. No, I get that you kept all the blue glow. Right, but this is like if two people were talking and one of them got stabbed and the other one was like, I didn't get stabbed. <laughs> I'm saying that don't worry about it. Take it easy. You're saying, can I have some of your blue glow? I wouldn't know how to transmit that to you. I got some ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is wonderful. On this podcast, we talk about things that we like very much, and we're going to do just that. Do you have any small wonders? I do. I got to go see Snail Mail while you were at PodCon. Yeah. And it was incredible. Yeah, I bet it was. I talked to everybody who would listen to me at PodCon about how sad I was to be missing that. Um yeah. She performed pristine. Yeah, and I, man, I love. That I imagine song. she did the whole the whole I album. Mean, yeah, she didn't have a lot of albums to draw from, and sure. so we got to hear all the hits. And I got to hear pristine, and it was so great. I would very much like to go to a concert. I couldn't remember the last time I've been to a concert. I am struggling. I think it was when I went to churches by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although we'll see some on the Joko cruise. That'll be nice. Oh yeah. Uh, my small wonder, um, uh, a good dude named Ben at PodCon let me, uh, hook me up with a, uh, a loner OPZ, which is the new, uh, keyboard from Teenage Engineering. They made that OP1 synth that I like talked about a lot, uh, a, a few months back. This one's, is that little gray guy right there. You can see it. It's a great, it's actually sitting right next to my TV remote and they are the exact same size. And yet the OPZ. And like, your pill caddy. I have my pill caddy. Don't tell people my pill caddy. I'm ashamed of it. I, I don't want people to know that I can't responsibly take two pills a day without forgetting every single time. Uh, but it's so tiny. It's so tiny, but it like can do so much stuff. I literally just like sat uh, on the airplane on the flight back. And for all three and a half hours of that flight, I just messed around with it and made like a really cool song. And I did it on this really, really tiny thing that like I'm going to take with me every single place. Mm-hmm. It, it's honestly more like the um, uh, the pocket operators, those little calculator like guys, because it's more of a step sequencer than like a whole like. Uh, synth like workshop but the stuff it allows you to do also you can plug it into your phone uh, and so like your phone will then sort of act as like the visual component of it because it doesn't have a screen on it so it'll show you like when you press the like uh, you know bass button it shows you all the parameters of the bass and like what the different knobs and stuff do and then also it has like a music visualizer mode where like you just set that and then all of a sudden your iPhone is like showing off these like crazy three dimensional sort of scenes that run in unity a game development sort of platform Platform. It's it's wild. It is a wild piece of technology that I'm like obsessed with. I think I really like like synth hardware. Yeah, it seems like it. I know I don't collect much. I I don't know if you call the games I own a collection, probably, but like I don't know. I don't have any adult hobbies, and it feels like this is becoming. Yeah, it's one. almost getting to the point where you need like a little. Like I a thought little shelf. I need to clear off one of those things because yeah. I, I have a significant amount of hardware. Um, I forget. I think. 
I think it's my turn. Can I double check? It's been so long. Yes, of course. Yes. All right. Did you know the little animated, like, the little illustrated characters of us at the top of the page change depending on whose turn it is to go first on Wonderful.fyi? No, I never noticed that. Like, you're smiling right now. Like, you look so excited. Oh. It's really good. Well, I am excited. Okay. This is going to sound kind of basic to you, but I, I did some research to make it, you know, everything I want it to be. Okay. A good sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure, for sure. Like uh, Drew Carey, um, old Tim Allen. <laughs> what What was peak Tim Allen to you? Ugh. A good sense of humor, though, is pretty great, I think. And I, I am... I am getting very particular about this because I don't know a person that would say I'm not very funny. You know, I mean, there's maybe a small percentage of people that do, but I am talking about a very specific kind of what I found out is called positive humor. (laughs) Okay. What does that mean? There's a whole group of uh, people in psychology that have identified different types of humor. And so uh, the Journal of Research and Personality in 2003 came up with a humor styles questionnaire that you could take to identify which type of humor you most strongly lent yourself to. Okay, what what are those categories? There's affiliative humor. Whoa. Which is when you engage in banter and otherwise use humor to make others like you. Okay. I'm trying to decide which one I have, and this is a strong contender. Uh Uh-huh. The other is self-enhancing humor, which is optimistic coping humor characterized by the ability to laugh at yourself or the absurdity of a situation and feel better as a result. See, this is you When I tell jokes, yeah, my muscles get bigger (laughs) for like a little bit. The blue glow from the monsters. Yeah, and I've never watched Dragon Ball Z, but I think that's what it's mostly about. Now, the next two are not positive humor. Oh, do we even need to talk about this stink humor then? I think we should. Okay. There's aggressive humor, which is characterized by sarcasm, teasing, criticism, and ridicule. Ugh, I don't like this one, I think. And then there's self-defeating humor, which is attempting to get others to like us by putting ourselves down. And I dabble in this. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I do dabble a bit in this one. Yeah. I, I dip my toe in that pool from time to time. Yeah. I I guess I feel like my humor has matured a lot as I've gotten older. Mm. I think I really, I tended towards the aggressive humor in my youth. I can see that. Which is like the sarcasm, you know, the like, I don't care about anything. Back in your, you when know. you were rolled with a dirt bike club mm-hmm. and uh, smoked cloves while just sort of kicking up dirt from your dirt bike in people's eyes and mouths mm-hmm. while yelling back like... You have a you have a weird butt. I see. I am so detached from mean humor that I can't <laughs> like. That's the heat that I'm generating. Uh, I think one of the things that I I really appreciate about your humor and just kind of the McElroy philosophy around humor is is that it tends to be more positive, and it's really kind of motivated me to be less um, negative in my humor. It's weird. Like I. Uh, obviously like that's something that we strive for just Mm -hmm. because I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a good way, not for it because it's a virtuous way of doing it. Although I, obviously it's better than the other two Mm -hmm. alternatives, but just because like, I think it's a fun, I think it's the funniest one of the four. Mm -hmm. So like, it's just the one that I always lean on. I also genuinely like, it's hard for me to think of something funny and mean to say about somebody. (laughs) Yeah, Because a lot of the mean shit that you hear, like that mean humor, Mm -hmm. very, 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 very few people can actually do that and have it be like funny. Like you can, you can do humor like that, and but like one out of every thousand like professional standups can yeah. actually like do something new with it and not just like do the same put down. I feel like it's like an older style of comedy, you know? Yeah. Like it's like like Don Rickles kind of like yeah old timey, and and especially like that interactive stuff like whether it's with hecklers in the audience or just sort of like good good natured ribbing uh like yeah that's that one's that one is very hard to pull off but it it is easily rewarded when people do a bad job with it yeah um and and so there's a lot of research out there to support why you know people that are funny have better lives but i thought this one was interesting 
So when people laugh more themselves, it changes their neurobiology. Mm. Uh, so laughter leads to brain changes, which may explain the link between humor and intelligence. Neuropsychological studies have found that experiencing positive emotional states, such as joy, fun, and happiness, increase the production of dopamine. Dopamine not only makes us feel great, it also opens up the learning centers of the brain, which enable us to sustain more neural connections. As a result, we become more flexible and creative in our thinking and better at solving problems. It also boosts our working memory. That's what I was talking about when I said my muscles get bigger. Mm-hmm. Your brain is the most important muscle that you have in your body. I think. I think. Oh, what about your tongue, though? Uh, yeah. That, I take it back. Tongue wins. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I always knew there were like positive side effects to like laughing a lot, but not yeah, explicitly that your brain I, gets cooler. I, I felt like I'm starting to view our podcast as like a, a glossary for living. Okay. You know? And so sometimes I feel like, oh, if we don't include something, that's a huge oversight on our part. Hmm. And I feel like sense of humor is like a real big thing. And it's worth mentioning. I think so, too. I was thinking about this like... um I was having some trouble like coming up with a, a melody for a song for Taz and I was mm -hmm. getting really frustrated because like I haven't trained necessarily that like uh, part of my skill set like I, I'm not especially good at just like thinking uh, creating from nothing a thought of like what a good melody would be. So did you watch some America's Funniest Home Videos? So I watched some AFV. <laughs> no I got frustrated but then I was like thinking about it and uh i was like editing my bim bam later and i heard a joke and i was like that was a really weird thought that i generated not necessarily a hysterically funny one but like uh -huh. a weird one and that abstract <laughs> comedy thought is i imagine would be tough to generate out of nothing if i didn't like yeah. have this sense of humor this is like what? that's not braggadocious it's me it was literally a realization i had that, that i possess a skill well and it's like you talking about how you're resistant to doing something like stand up yeah because your humor is is more creative it's more like environmental and situational stand up's extremely creative it's just a question of when the joke is made yeah. and i yeah um yeah that's a good one mm -hmm. um both of mine are like pretty bite-sized i would say they're medium wonders more okay. than anything uh my first one is complimentary candy <laughs> candy is good candy's so candy's good uh -huh. but i want to talk about complimentary candy i am talking about um you know the free mints that you get at the 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 front desk the like host ch chamber of the oh, restaurant when you're le yeah when you're leaving after a meal and there's little jar there's there. little mints there sometimes they're fun peppermints or spearmints sometimes they'll mix it up and it'll be like a, you'll think it's like a you know a spearmint candy but it's got some chocolate notes or some sort it's a fruit oh when it's like the fruit one like that always blows my mind back when andy's mints were a thing oh my gosh yes you used to get them with like the chocolate at the end of a meal that was fun uh i've been to places that give you little chiclets at the end of the meal that's fun but then you got stuff like uh you know doctor's office uh, uh chocolate on your pillow at a nice hotel i'm speaking specifically like from experience they had some bomb ass chocolate at the sheraton uh by the podcon and at podcon on every stage where you did your panels they had bowls of candy there it was amazing uh <laughs> And I have been trying to be much more thoughtful about what I eat. And that has sort of um, severely reduced what I will call candy opportunities for me. That's very true. Yeah, Griffin used to, when he would go to run some kind of errand, would just pick up yeah, a little candy treat for himself. Either usually Skittles or Sour Patch Kids, which I, mm -hmm. oh boy. Oh boy, do I like those very much. Um so like I don't eat much candy these days unless I see some complimentary candy that I can snatch up and then I'll go for it like 10 times out of 10. <laughs> um, my college advisor always had candy in his room. And so like I would always walk by his room and just like dip in and be like, you got some Starburst? Good. You going to teach me something today? Nope. <laughs> I bet when your college advisor made the choice for that candy, uh, the colleagues of that advisor suggested, oh, this, no, there's no, this is not going to They're going to difference. use you, Dan. <laughs> I, I know. Church, church, church. Church had candy? Church was a candy convention. I, well, now, are you talking about communion wafers? 
Those are, <laughs> if you close your mind, close your eyes and your mind and really sort of go to like that hook place where the, the food can be anything. Yeah. It was amazing. Now, what uh, is church candy? Uh, just candy. I, I don't know. I don't where know. Where would if, they place it? Uh, everywhere. Uh, my mom was a church secretary for many, many, many years, and you know she always had the hookup. But like any any uh, pastor that had an office, you could dip in there and get some. Uh, there's usually like a bowl by the front door <laughs> where they had like greeters. You can snatch some up there. There was a dude who would always have gum, and if you ran into him, you could just get a stick of gum from him. He was <laughs> he was a really great dude. Um, I just like the idea of like people in places sort of recognizing this universal truth, like. It's it's hard enough as it is out there. Why don't you have a little bit of candy to go? Just have a little <laughs> bit of candy to like help sort of bolster your defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also reading about office candy, um, and there's almost too much to like get into here because there have been so many studies done on like the psychological mechanisms behind the politics of office candy, um, specifically like. Uh, why people have bowls of candy on their desk and how people's interactions with that person and their candy changes depending on the power dynamics between them and the proximity, the actual physical proximity between them. Oh my uh, there's like a distance. I think it's like six feet. If you're within six feet of a bowl of candy and you know it's there, you are going to get up and go to it like a hundred times more than you would <laughs> if you were six feet one inches away from it. If it's in your line of sight, you're going to be obviously way more likely to go yeah, up and just yeah, sort of yeah. idly get idly get candy not not even i think making a conscious decision just like walking by like oh candy don't mind if i do uh and then there's things like if you the the boss's bowl of candy almost never gets touched just because of the the dynamics between like the boss and subordinate unless that subordinate is specifically trying to put in facetime with the boss and then they will go and get candy more often than not um can i tell you uh, a memory that brought up for me yeah our sixth grade principal Sixth grade was kind of that bridge between middle school uh, and elementary school. Mm. And so they were big on bribes. And the idea was that you could get neat notes, which were little pieces of paper from your teachers that, you know, indicated you had done something good. And if you got enough neat notes, you could go to the principal's office and get a scoop of runts off of his desk. (laughs) What a weird prize. Yes. What a strange prize. You would use your whole hand, and it was as many as you could get. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. I know. You used your your filthy child paw? put them in an envelope, like a letter envelope. What a poorly thought out reward (laughs) system. Are you kidding? What what grade was this in? Sixth grade. This is middle school? Yeah. In middle school, we had strides, which were these little blue tickets, because I went to Mac, we were the blue streaks. And if you did good in class, you got good grades, you were just a good student, you would get a stride. And then you could trade in like five of those for like a whole ice cream bar in the like dining area, the cafeteria. Yeah, you only needed like five of them. I remember thinking, like, am I the only one that doesn't like runts? Are there people out Not there? Not just runts, Rach. <laughs> You're talking about this principal's homemade runts packaging, runts fulfillment operation. He was operating out of his out of his office. This is <laughs> this is the wildest thing I've ever heard today. I remember deciding, like, well, I guess I like the lime runts. Was it just a big bowl? Nobody likes the banana runts. That's not true. I like the I like the flavor of them, but the shape makes them very difficult to eat. Uh, I actually prefer the little heart, the little pink heart oh, ones. The strawberry. I think that's. Yeah. I think they're strawberry. But he had like a box or a bowl of them. It was what? like a glass jar, and you'd stick your whole hand in there and pull them out. So, uh, and in the summer, I imagine there was a oh, stick and yeah. stickiness element, and then he gives you an envelope to put them in. <laughs> yeah. Does he write runts on the envelope so you don't get confused and mail them off? No. This principal was a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, anyway, the Washington Post did a huge feature story on office candy where they like talked to psychologists and tried to recreate it in the Washington Post office yeah. uh, that I read all of and thought was very fascinating. Uh, so yeah, free candy's good. I, you didn't need me to fucking tell you that, though. Can I steal you away? <laughs> It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? 
Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Styles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. I got some Jobatrons here. You want to hear them? Yes. This one is for Hannah, and it's from Jordan, who says, Hannah Banana. I like that. I cannot adequately convey to you how much I love you. It's okay. We got this. That's what Rachel and I are here for. Uh, I'm so excited for our new apartment, our post-wedding pizza party, and getting to spend the rest of my life with you. You're the light of my world, my moon and stars, and my wonderful, your spookums, Jordan. P.S. This is also a formal request for you to make your good, good lasagna. This is the oh densest and so dense with flavor this message is. The fact is. that they talk about pizza and lasagna in one message is Not just, just pizza, but post-wedding pizza party. Is an, is an incredibly powerful concept. I would have been all over that. I would have been all over that too. Although I was already, I would have yarts for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, I had a lot of stuff in there. When we actually, people tell you, you don't eat at your wedding. We ate, we ate at the our wedding. fucking lot and drank much. Yes. What a hoot. Here's one for Joe and Katie, and it's from Laura, who says, Thank you for being my two favorite podcast pals. I'm so happy to share all of the wonderful McElroy content with both of you. Joe, I love you so much, and am so thankful you introduced me to this good, good family last year. Katie, I'm excited you decided to share this awesome content with me. Thank you for both being so wonderful. I love you. There's so much um, crediting that happens in this one. There's so much attribution uh, and I find it very refreshing. I know exactly who turned who onto what in this message. <laughs> it's like the first chapter of the Bible where it's like Joe introduced it to Katie, who and Laura did the both of them. Mm-hmm. You've never read the Bible. I didn't. Is that what this whole thing has been leading up to? Are you going to school me right now? Wouldn't it be wild if we changed once again and it became <laughs> Griffin teaches Rachel about the Bible? <laughs> Are you ready for that? I, I mean, sure. Here we go. <laughs> so once upon a time, there's this guy named Moses. I mean, it's all rap. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I am Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cashin. Together, we host a podcast called... The Jackie and Lori Show. Uh, we're both stand-up comics... 
We recently met each other because women weren't allowed to work together on the road or in gigs for a long, long time. And so our friendship has been unfolding on this podcast for a couple of years. Jackie constantly works the road. I write for Conan and then I work the road in between. We do a lot of stand-up comedy. And so we celebrate stand-up and yes. we also bitch about it. We keep it to an hour. We don't have any guests. We somehow find enough to talk about every single week. So find us. You can subscribe to The Jackie and Lori Show at MaximumFun.com org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, bye. You want to hear my second thing? I would love to hear your second thing. It's a shame we just ate dinner because I guarantee you, as I'm talking about this, you are going to get hungry again. That could have gone either direction. I'm glad it went in the hungry direction. <laughs> What's up? Grilled cheese. Oh, grilled cheese. Grilled cheese is one of those things. Typically, when I go to a restaurant. I will order something that like I know that I can't make at home. But if grilled cheese is on a menu, like 100% of the time, I will give it a good long thought. Even though I know I could probably recreate it in my own home. Mm. Because I just, a good grilled cheese is always a pleasure. How pure are we talking about here? How pure are we talking about here? Because there's so many gradients, right? Like there's the classic, classic grilled cheese, craft singles. Can't fuck that up. But then you can start putting Gruyere on there. And then you can start putting like no. bacon, jam, and onion, sauteed onions on there. And then I mean, like, I would eat either. That's the thing. Okay. I, I think I think that I will always, I will always give it a thought. Mm. Unlike most food items at a restaurant, if there is grilled cheese on there, I will always think, should I get that grilled cheese? You know what's funny is that if I see grilled cheese on a menu, I won't leap for it unless there is also like a tomato basil bisque on the menu that I can make his best friend. And oh, if I see that, dippers. I throw the rest of the fucking menu into oncoming traffic because <laughs> I'm going to eat the dip-ums. Uh, so dip-ums and crunch-ums is all Rachel needs. That's so true. Did we just come up with our first t-shirt? Or each other's new pet names. Which one would you be? I would clearly be Crunchums. See, I was going to say Dipums. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to hear about the the history of American grilled cheese? Yeah. Are and we that, being very quiet, by the way? I feel like we're being accidentally ASMR. I think we're just super chill this week. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about the the croque monsieur from the from the French folk. I'm going to talk about American grilled cheese. Okay. You ready? Is a croque monsieur basically for grilled cheese, though? You can't leave for me the, hanging For like the that. French folk, yes. Okay. Uh, so, American grilled cheese can be traced back to the 1920s when the uh, man from Iowa invented a bread slicer that made distributing white bread easy and affordable. The man from Iowa? <laughs> for some reason, I couldn't get his name. <laughs> <laughs> I went Don't to worry, folks. It's me, Iowa man. I got this. I made cheese get melty on bread, and the bread is crunchy. You're welcome. I went welcome. to How Stuff Works, and for some reason, I guess they assumed that you had read a previous article that told you all about this Iowa How man. How Stuff Works, you usually have a much better batting yeah. average than that. The Iowa man. Uh, shortly before, this is what's crazy to me. Shortly before there was sliced bread, there was Kraft Singles. Isn't that weird? You are fucking kidding me. Well, so processed cheese, I should say. Not the singles, but the Kraft processed cheese was in existence before the sliced bread. I still like... The, the saying, best thing since sliced bread, has, I always thought was like uh, archaic bullshit. Well, so this, I'm talking about like mass produced sliced bread. I know, that's what I'm saying. I can't believe it took them that fucking long know, to figure it out. Is it a preservatives thing? Like the crust would keep the in inner bread sort it was of- more I think about a bread slicer that was like, you know, mechanized and efficient in a way that they could really get that bread out the door. Okay. So this is James L. Kraft- who developed a pasteurizing process that ensured that cheese wouldn't spoil even when transported long distances. I'm pretty sure that cheese would never spoil. Uh, this, quote, factory cheese uh, was disparagingly termed rat trap cheese or rat cheese by the English because, you know. Nothing's ever good enough for them. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, you know, an age of, of fine cheddars and, and people that took great pride before the re the great reaping and now there's no <laughs> cheese anywhere except craft uh so in world war ii navy cooks began preparing american cheese filling sandwiches which was a government issued recipe in ships kitchens i needed a recipe for that one huh government 
You're going to love it. You're going to love it, boat chefs. Check it. Cheese, <laughs> bread, butter. Hot it, go. Hot Get it. out the hot it, go, fight, win. Yes. <laughs> I like hot it as a as a direction. Hot it. Hot it. I took that from the from Blue Apron. <laughs> In the 1940s and 50s, uh, these cheese-filling sandwiches were traditionally served open-faced and consisted of one slice of bread topped with cheese. Okay, I take it back. They clearly needed <laughs> They needed the Lord's guiding hand to get them across the, the great muse of inspiration to get them across the finish line on this one. A second piece of bread. <laughs> you must consider the possibility. Uh, so in the uh, in the early 50s, Kraft Foods introduced Kraft Singles, which were the individually wrapped slices. And supermarkets began stocking them in 1965. So for some reason, between the early 1950s and 1965... You had to send a letter to Kraft, like, can I get some of those singles, please? <laughs> I'd like three singles, I'd please. like three singles. And he said, well, after postage, they'll be $25. <laughs> so enjoy it. So the second piece of bread was added to the uh, grilled cheese around then in the 1960s. When did the f- open-faced sandwich get invented? What's the gap there? How long did it take them to really... It says in the 40s and 50s, they Son were served oh open-faced. And then in the 1960s... So possibly two decades passed. For two decades, people were eating these <laughs> wrong pizzas. And then like somebody dropped a wrong pizza face down on another wrong pizza. And they're like, oh, wait, this is a million times better. Well, times were tough. Maybe people didn't want to use two pieces of bread for a sandwich, you know? You got it. Now, now I'm the asshole, I guess. Because I forgot that people didn't have infinite cheese and bread back then. So a lot of times, if you look at early recipe books, uh, you see a lot of toasted cheese and toasted sandwich. Uh, You don't see a lot of grilled cheese in the common vernacular. I can't believe I said that thing about this not needing a recipe. (laughs) Um, Even if we look at 1953, we're talking joy of cooking, which is like, you know, foundational. Sure. Irma S. Rombauer wrote that bread and cheese should be heated in a commercial waffle iron as an easy meal for even, quote, the maidless host to prepare. I don't, the ramifications of that are really weird. And also, I don't hate that. Uh, an open waffle iron, did it say? Commercial oh, waffle Oh, commercial iron. waffle. Uh, yeah. So do you, do you actually close it? Do you waffle that shit up? Because if so, I'm into that. I guess so, yeah. I'm into that. I like that. I like that little cheese pockets, little, mm-hmm. little cheese crannies. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of Hot Pockets put together in one. Now, oh my God, you can <laughs> dice up some Peppy and slash a little bit of, uh, splash a little bit of, um, uh, of that red sauce on top of it. Then I, I think we got something going here. Are we calling it Peppy now? So what else did they fuck up <laughs> for the cheese sandwich? So... This is the what I found interesting. You don't have to sell me hard on a grilled cheese, you know, but apparently in 2007, Kraft Foods budgeted a record $1.4 billion to its marketing uh, to get grilled cheese back onto the list of quick menu options and revitalize Kraft singles. Hmm. Uh, By is, quick menu options in what? I guess just get it back in regular circulation for folks, get people making grilled cheese again. Okay, uh, so <laughs> this is from the How Stuff Works article. A contest held on the now obsolete social network MySpace <clears throat> asked users to create and upload home videos celebrating grilled cheese for a chance to win $50,000. And a craft executive said the goal was to, quote, get people to make just one more grilled cheese sandwich a year. <laughs> We're going to give you $50,000. And then they'll Please. tell two friends. And then they'll tell two friends. <laughs> and then Tom on MySpace changed his profile pic to a grilled cheese sandwich. In That's cra- not true. I'm kidding. No. In Kraft's defense, what if Tom changed his fucking profile image one day? <laughs> what if he changed it? I have a beard now. No, Tom. Get back behind your school desk, you child. Um. 90s, 90s kids will love that joke. Craft, um, <laughs> I th- in Craft's defense for their weird uh, marketing ploy there, I did go maybe 14 years without eating a grilled no, cheese sandwich. Very... I did nonstop well, when I was oh, a kid. Okay. I thought you were talking about a Craft single grilled cheese. I definitely had grilled cheese that were not Craft singles. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I had a um, Monte Cristo sandwich once, and I was like, well, this is 
this is the better version of this, I feel like. And yeah. then I had three of those and I um, almost died. I aged 20 years like I had drank from the wrong chalice and I was like, whoa, I need to slow my roll on those. <laughs> and now I think it's maybe because I'm only recently getting into soup and God, the diplums. Oh, the diplums. Mm-hmm. So the following year, so we're talking 2008, Kraft asked fans to write about their favorite grilled cheese memory for a chance to win a free pack of Kraft singles. <laughs> that's, the, that's the prize? That's worse than the runts envelope. It's like, what, like $1.75, I guess, maybe? Yeah. That was, it was not worse than the runts envelope. That's a, that's a great, man, crushing it over there, Kraft. You're lucky you invented fast cheese. Because <laughs> otherwise... I used to, when I was a kid, I think, and I had a... A maybe less refined palate. Mm. I used to just take a craft single, just fold it up and eat it Absolutely. by itself. Yeah, you could make it thicker and that would sort of trick you into thinking it's fancier, but we know, we know what's up. But yeah, so I, I, I have a longing for grilled cheese in my daily life. I don't usually indulge in it because I feel like, I don't know, it's not filling enough, yeah. you know, these days, but oh, I still love it. I still love it so much. I have been thinking a lot, and Rachel can attest to this because I've had conversations with her about it, about Kraft macaroni and cheese. Yeah. I've wanted to eat that extraordinarily badly. Like, I've had the craziest craving for it, um, and it seems like a weird... That one seems like a weird one to fulfill. For me, not easy, Matt, because I want it to be good if I'm going to eat it. Mm-hmm. So I want the box with the dinosaur on it. Um, <laughs> like, for me to go through the effort of making making that... When like, I don't know, we've had like Amy's macaroni and cheese and like, you know, nice, nice four cheese macaroni and cheese with like a baked crust on it. Like really good stuff. I want that dirty, that dirty box dinosaur shit. (laughs) We can do that, Griffin. We're adults. We can't tell anyone though. Okay. No one can see us. Draw the blinds. It's dinosaur time. (laughs) What's your second thing? My second thing is a YouTube series that I've recently discovered um, that I've seen ads for like constantly, which I think is YouTube's way of saying you like everything around this. You should be watching this. And it was proven right today. Uh, or, Or actually, it was last week I started watching. It's called Defunct Land. Uh, and it is a long-running YouTube series. I don't know about long-running, but there's a lot of episodes about it. And the entire premise of the show is that the host uh, is a guy named Kevin Perjurer, which is a cool name, Uh, and he is essentially an amusement park historian. He takes a look at the histories of uh, shuttered amusement parks, uh, closed down attractions, and also sort of like amusement park adjacent things, uh, and sort of explores the the flawed history behind each one of them. That sounds um, incredible. And a lot of them are uh, like Disney history stuff, uh, which like, I don't know, I feel like I didn't really care about Disney World, Disneyland, like Disney parks until we went to it last year and I had like this incredible time and have basically been looking forward to our next time going to it since and watching some of the stuff that like Disney has gotten up to was really 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 fascinating uh, for me I feel like um, he doesn't like there's something like mythical about the idea of like an abandoned amusement park like it's the setting for like a fiction like a Scooby-Doo mystery like something out of fiction but like looking at the defunct land like YouTube channel there's a lot of there's a lot of real estate sitting out there just waiting for old man Carruthers to, you know, steal <laughs> the jewels or whatever. Um, so the, the show, like, it doesn't revel in delight. Like, look at them. Look at them fail. Look at them try and fail. It's it's instead kind of like looking at the reasoning for why they did what they did and failed so spectacularly at what they did, which I don't know. I feel like this show could also be like mean spirited, like, what the fuck were you doing, Walt? Um, instead, it's like, here's a weird thing that happened. Uh, they didn't keep it around for very long. Um there is some oh so like they have other stuff too not just amusement parks uh disney i did some of the stuff i didn't even know about so like that's the coolest shit like um this place called action park in new jersey which was like this uh deathly water park uh that had to be shut down because of the body count of it uh and a lot of disney stuff so there's a place called club disney where they basically tried to make their own chuck e cheese do you remember this? Oh, no. Yeah, that one didn't last very long. And then there was Disney Quest, which was much more recent, uh, which is essentially, do you remember the Sega amusement park we went to in Odaiba when we were in Tokyo? Yeah. 
uh, basically like Sega built this sort of super arcade, this like four story tall super arcade uh, that uh, had, you know, Sega games in it and a bunch of like arcade stuff. But then it also had like Sega based amusement attractions. Disney basically did that. Uh, and it was called Disney Quest. And I think it was like in Times Square or close to it. Oh, and interesting. it didn't last long either. So like these big things I didn't even know existed. But then like the, the historical stuff about um, like parks that have shuttered and especially like Disney rides I found so fascinating. So uh, I watched one today about a ride called Superstar Limos. And I feel like it provides a really good cross-section of like the tone of this show and what I think is so fascinating about it. Uh, this was in uh, California Adventure, uh, which was fairly recent at the time. I think the ride was built in like 2001. Uh, and the idea behind the ride was like, it was simple enough. The premise was simple. Like you were basically a new Hollywood star uh, arriving at LAX and you would like get chased by paparazzi and see like the sights and sounds of of, of, of Hollywood Wait, while you're on your way. Ride? Yes, while you're on your way to this like movie premiere. It was basically like a dark ride, right? But with some like action elements because okay. like the paparazzi would chase you down and you had to get away. Okay. Uh, so like that was the pitch for the ride. Uh, and then Princess Diana died oh, no. um, in a like like very similar sort of fashion yeah. to what the ride depicted so like they were like well we can either shutter this the 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 ride and park were supposed to be opening very very soon and so they were like well we can either shutter this and figure out something else to do so they removed all the paparazzi got rid of all the like fast segments and like well we need something to put in there uh-huh. and so like at that point also the budget had been like just it was 15 dollars uh so everything looked really bad like it looked very it looked very very poorly made um i think they described it as like a a cheaply made pop-up book with like illustrations of like big crowds (laughs) of people on one single huge panel of wood that would just kind of bounce up and down and then they would have these semi-animatronic celebrities but they had to be celebrities that like disney already had sort of on contract to to do Um, and so like there's, there's Drew Carey with like tickets to, or, or like star maps that he's waving around his hand and then like Jackie Chan doing a high flying kick oh, out of the no. ceiling and, uh, Antonio Banderas and Melanie Griffith, like posing for photos. Look kids, it's Antonio Banderas <laughs> and Melanie Griffith, like, and you're going through in this like gaudy purple, like uh limousine and it was short and terrible. And it would, and they have like footage of, they not only have footage of like people filming the ride when they were, you know, riding it oh in 2001. Gosh. So you can like see what everything looks like, which is like incredible. Uh, after going to Disney and seeing like the quality bar of like the things they make, like seeing this complete yeah. fart was like mind boggling. Uh, you also got promotional footage, uh, footage of the cast of the Drew Carey show, like going on the ride and like f- f- feigning delight at the things they were doing oh is them and Rosie O'Donnell. Like, look, there's Drew Carey. Oh. And that was the end of sort of their commentary because it was so rough. Um, and the whole video, like it, it outlines this stuff and I think very rightly criticizes it. Uh, but it also just kind of like opens this window into like Disney makes like we, we talked about it when we did our, our Disney trip and then like sort of uh, addressed it in the following episode of Wonderful. Like it's so polished. It is so fine tuned. The whole experience is like so meticulously designed from the second you, you, you know, yeah. drive onto the park and to see something so poorly like yeah. conceived that was also sort of dealt a bad hand by just sort of the twists of fate uh, was really interesting. Also, then it goes into how that ride became a Monsters, Inc. ride and all of the semi-animatronic celebrities, they like slapped hazmat suits on them and so now they're like, you know, the the monster cleanup crew or whatever. Oh, and they still So you still have like a ha- guy in a hazmat suit doing like a high-flying kick. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just Jackie Chan wearing a suit. Uh, like the whole front facade of the building, like they just sort of slapped some like uh, Monsters Inc. doors all over it. Like, there's so much of the DNA of the original ride that turned into this, like, is you know, better, kind of, better ride. It sounds like kind of the thrill of seeing like a really bad movie, like watching a bad movie with your friends. It's like seeing this, like, I don't know, this urgency put behind something that is just never going to be good. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I think it's interesting in that regard, and I also think it's interesting, especially the Disney ones, because you you. 
I don't think you get to the point where Disney's at now where, you know, pretty much all the things they make are, are, are right on point. Like they are, are all leading towards you having this perfect experience while you're at the parks where your every need is being catered to. And you see stuff like this and it's like, this is kind of how they got there, right? Like you don't, you don't get to that perfect park without having a few superstar limos along well, the way. Yeah, and it's fascinating too, because so, you know, we took Henry and we went to Epcot and we, you know, Epcot has like the different countries with the different rides associated right. with that country. And there is a ride in Mexico that maybe has existed in that country for years and years and years. It's all like the three caballeros. Yeah. It's yeah. all like Donald Duck adjacent. And it's a very simple ride there. Are, you know, it must have been around for a very long time. It was definitely like all of the kids loved it. The yep. absolute most. It was just a lot of bright colors and videos yeah, and of, music and, and music and yeah. like not, you know, they, they liked like the more technical, like the frozen ride. Like they obviously had a really good time, but like there was no wait to get on Three Caballeros because it was super old and. Yeah, they, Very they fun. still it, really like, shows really like you kind it. of the science behind it and how like it isn't necessarily technology that makes a ride great. Right. I think it's this. I, I think Disney has this mystique about them, like the, you know, the Imagineers doing the work behind the scenes to like make make these make these flawless experiences. And it's kind of like there is something that makes that work seem even more impressive when you see when it doesn't work out. Yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, I I also just am excited about this uh, about Defunct Land because there's yes. so many episodes and the episodes are really in-depth and they are really long and uh yeah it's just a new thing that i've discovered i think it's been running for a long time um and uh yeah i'm excited to, to dip into it me too i feel like we have a lot of nice like youtube series to get into it's i don't know why that's like one of my favorite parts of our day i know like the very last last moments before we got a new, i pass out we got a new kawami japan knife and we have a new bon appetit video yeah there's a pringles bon appetit guys there's so many people i talk to about that series at podcon for some reason and every single one of them just wants brad and claire to get together God, i know that we were like we showed it to your brother justin and sydney and we were just like very aggressive about their <laughs> about their romance <laughs> yes. I mean, about our otp hey i got some submissions from our friends at home uh chad says i live down the road from a lumber mill and large flatbed trucks carrying lumber occasionally pass by me when I'm on the sidewalk. I love catching the huge whiff of fresh cut wood smell that blasts me in the face uh, from the open sides. Puts me right in the mood to settle down by the hearth. Oh, like what a, a world too. that is. You know what's a good smell? I really uh, we, We're getting some work done. We have like this weird sort of uh, out of the place fireplace in the house we live in and we're getting some work done to like renovate it. I like this. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like drywall, like new drywall smell, but like there's a smell that comes <laughs> alongside. I feel like a Home Depot I, when I walked in and I yeah, liked it. Yeah, I, I, I dig that scent. Uh, here's one from William who says, My personal wonder is downing a big glass of room temperature water that has just been poured over ice. Bonus wonder points if you're really thirsty. As you drink, the temperature of the water fluctuates between warm and cold, and I find it super satisfying. Wow. I know that's I know that I, I know would that never feel. have thought about that as a thing when you pour like a room temperature thing into a, some ice and you yes. get like little currents of of different uh-huh. temperatures in it yeah sometimes I, I tell Griffin that I have a real hard time coming up with topics and he says you know Rachel just just keep it simple and that is a perfect example yeah, I mean, I did complimentary candy. I mean, you also did sense of humor. I feel like this has been a real nice acoustic yeah, right? acoustic episode. <laughs> uh, and one last one from Sophie who says, I love hubba bubba bubble, hubba bubba bubble. I love hubba bubba bubble tape. Everything about the experience of this good gum is fun and satisfying from the packaging to the taste to having the ability to bite off as much as you want and blowing giant bubbles. You can even have, my mouth is watering so fucking much. <laughs> I'm having trouble getting through this. Uh, you can even have a bubble tape race to see who can eat the whole roll fastest. Ooh. You said eat, and I don't love that because now I'm worried about you, Sophie, and I didn't sort know of your you track. Still buy bubble tape? Yeah, I think I, I feel like I only see it at like the grocery store at like the checkout lane. This is a good vocal exercise. Hubba for bubba us. bubble tape. Hubba bubba bubble. You don't tape. even know. You don't even. I, I mean, you never did like choir or anything like no. that, so you don't know about red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red. That one, aluminum linoleum, you know that that jam? I knew red leather, yellow leather. I didn't know aluminum, aluminum linoleum. linoleum. Yeah. Hubba bubba bubble tape. You did it. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm very talented, Griffin. You are very much. <laughs> the thought of having a lot of bubble gum in my mouth, though, that do, that yeah, didn't do like it that. for. But the idea of having some. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Thank you so much to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. 
Um, thank you to everybody who was very patient in the comments of our last episode where I talked <laughs> about black metal. Um, <laughs> you, you, all, you all are very kind, too kind. Uh, thank you to MaximumFun.org for hosting our podcast. They are adding a lot of new shows lately. Have you seen this? Yes. There's, um, there's the Jackie and Lori show, which you will be, <laughs> which you've probably already heard a promo for yeah. in this episode. And then there's a new one that's just announced the day we're recording this with Amy Mann and Ted Leo. Fuck yes. I that's know. so good. Uh, yes, we are very lucky to be on Max Fun. Uh, and, uh, thank you all. Thank you all. If I met you at PodCon, we got a lot of people saying really wonderful things about our, about wonderful. Um, a lot of people missed you. I missed you more than them. Um, did people, did people really, did they say things about wonderful? They did. Yeah. Like nonstop. So many people came up. I heard more about wonderful than any of the other shows that we did. (laughs) People saying, I love that show. And Rachel is so talented and great. And hold on to this microphone for me. Oh no. I dried up like a little dried shrimp. And that's why there were no jokes in this one. Do you think I brought enough blue glow? You always you always bring enough blue glow. <laughs> Wait a minute, the glow is green this time. What's it mean? Are you sick? I don't know how to keep up with this. Play with me. <laughs> can that be the end? Yeah, it can be the end. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're the host of Everything's Everything's Coming Coming Up Simpsons. Simpsons. Every episode we cover a different episode of The Simpsons that is a favorite of our special guests. We've had guests that are showrunners and writers and voice actors like Nancy Cartwright. I got a D minus, I passed! And we've also had people that are on the Max Fun Network already. We've had Weird Al Yankovic on the show. I was just uh, struck by how sharp the writing is. I mean, that's no surprise because it's The Simpsons, but I mean, like, you can't say that about a lot of of TV shows, particularly ones that at that point had been on the air for 14 years. Find us on MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, smell you later. Smell you later.